Thank you for tuning in once again on this Palm Sunday. We're glad that you've come to uh, worship with us. We are live. I'm live with you, so I'm experiencing this worship service just as you are. And uh, we thank you for being a part of what's going to take place today and what has taken place in worship. Uh, on this Palm Sunday, we recognize and know that uh, Jesus as he came triumphantly coming into Jerusalem, presenting himself as the one who is the King of Kings and Prince of Peace. But still today, we know that he is triumphant over all things, and we trust in him. Don't want to call this the new normal, because we don't want to get used to this. We want to be able to understand that uh, this is not the usual, but we still know that Jesus is in this place, just as we've sung about. We know that he's in the place where you are, and uh, we know that uh, the Lord's going to be able to do a great work during this hour. This is the beginning of the Holy Week, and uh, we will are continuing to prepare ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. And whether together or apart, we know that's going to be a great celebration. One of the things that we have been doing, we know that Sydney's doing 12 days of Easter in preparation for kids and parents. We've been doing 22 days of preparation since March 22nd. That was our first time to come and be together. And uh, we want to continue to observe that. This morning there was a prayer and a verse that was sent out. We're going to continue to be a prayer and a verse that's going to be sent out uh, until. This was day eight, but we're doing it through Easter Sunday. So even though it's a week away, really seven days, but uh, be uh, eight days counting today until Resurrection Sunday, hopefully to help you in your preparation time. And hopefully many other things are happening so that you might be prepared for Resurrection Sunday. We want to be prepared today as well. Uh, let me encourage you to find the Bible. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 23. Going to be reading verses 26 through 46 here in just a moment. Luke 23, verse 26 and following. We're also toward the conclusion of our time together. We're going to be observing the Lord's Supper together, even though we're apart. We are prepared here, and don't run out right now to find something and be prepared. You're going to have time to be able to do that uh, before, but uh, if you don't have juice and crackers, it's okay. Uh, any type beverage, non-alcoholic preferred, would be well to use, and uh, even bread and water would be okay that you might be able to use, whether it's yourself or your family that's gathered together in your home. We want to encourage you to do that, but again, you're going to have plenty of time to gather that, and we're going to give you an opportunity to prepare your hearts and prepare uh, for that uh, communion meal here in a few moments. And uh, So we look forward. We know that things have changed. Uh, last Sunday, actually, we were going to we had on the calendar to on our fifth Sunday to be able to have communion and Lord's Supper. Uh, we had this Sunday actually was going to be baptism. We have about half dozen who are waiting to be baptized. And so uh, we will reschedule that as soon as things get back to any kind of semi-normal. And uh, we'll be looking forward to those baptisms as well. And uh, But uh, before we read our scripture today, let's have a word of prayer together for this service. And I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you even now recognizing your spirit is in this place and it is in each home that is gathered together in your name. Whether it is a single person at home or a family unit that is gathered of many, Father, we know that you are there in the midst of each one. And Father, we pray your watch, care, and blessings upon all of our church family today. We thank you for how you continue to walk with us and protect us. We thank you that we know some of those who've already have been ill with the virus, Father, are already better. We pray for those who continue to be. We pray for those who've lost loved ones. 
uh, we pray for our church family and knowing that even in this past week that we have a member who has been lost father we pray that you may continue to bring watch care and comfort and we thank you that we can trust in you for all things we thank you for the promises of today and the promises of tomorrow we pray now, Father, for this particular service. We pray for our time together. Thank you, Father, for the praise and worship that's been lifted. And we thank you that we can come to you and read from your word. And we pray now, Father, that you may remove any distractions from us being able to understand what you would have to say to us today. And we pray, Father, as we observe our supper today that we're reminded of the greatest gift ever given. And now we pray, Father, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. We're Luke chapter 23, verse 26 and following. This now is the word of God. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in for the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals who were led away to be put to death with him, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Surely uh, educators and teachers probably will appreciate this story, but there's a church near Chicago. church is called the Oxford Church, and uh, that church, the pastor there, gives his sermons his sermon titles to the papers several weeks in advance. And as they were coming, uh, they also have a Christian school there, and the principal of the Christian school came and said, said, we want us to have a teacher induction on this particular Sunday, and the pastor wanted to put that in the paper. The pastor said, well, surely you can do that, no problem, but uh, won't you know I've already sent the title of the sermon, and that may or may not go with the induction. He said, well, okay. But when the paper came out that day, on the paper for that particular church, it said, Christian Education Sunday, new teachers will be inducted. And then underneath had the sermon of the day, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can tell that you are laughing at home about that and uh, probably there are 
uh, many teachers and many students who wish that school was back in session. And then there are most parents who are wishing that school were back in session. Well, so much for titles. The title of this message is Worst Spring Ever. Well, we can probably make several arguments that this perhaps is the worst spring ever, certainly in our lifetime, health-wise and maybe education and sports and certainly economically, and not just in our country, but around the world. Yet we know that God is still in charge and God is at work to bring people to himself and to make himself known. But the title's not about this spring. It's about another spring. Surely nearly 2,000 years ago, minus about a decade, it seemed to many the worst spring ever. We know that it was the time of the Passover when Jesus was crucified and placed on the cross. It was spring when Jesus died. We know for Simon, one that we read about there in verse 26, Simon, how humiliating it must have been for him. He was from Cyrene, Cyrene's uh, northern Africa. He had traveled nearly 800 miles to come to the Passover. Maybe the only time in his life that he was coming to the Passover, there he was, just an innocent bystander in the crowd, and suddenly a Roman soldier grabbed him and told him that he had to carry the cross, and he followed Jesus. Surely he had to be thinking, how in the world could this happen to him? And then there were a multitude of people and women who were following Jesus. The women particularly were mourning and were crying. And Jesus spoke to them and said, Weep for yourselves and for your children, for there's a worse day of judgment that will be coming. And perhaps he was particularly talking about the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. There were Roman soldiers. We read verse 33. They crucified him, the Scripture says, not realizing the significance, surely, had Jesus not prayed for their forgiveness, had Jesus not prayed and asked for their forgiveness, no telling what their fate might have been in this world or the next. And then there were the two criminals. One joined on either side. They joined in with others who were mocking Jesus. One said, if you are the Christ, save, save us and save yourself. One of the criminals rebuked the other and said, this man has done nothing wrong. Here we are, we're getting our just deserve, but this man does not deserve what he's getting. And for three hours, the sun's light did not shine from noon to 3 p.m. on that day. We read verse 45 a minute ago. It said that the sun's light failed. Now that's a tough spring day. And when Jesus breathed his last, the demons pranced, the devil laughed, and evil seemed to triumph but only for a time. Because for Simon, what seemed to be one of the most humiliating days of his life may have turned out for being one of the best because the biblical accounts may lead us to believe that Simon and all, and all of his family became devout believers. For believers, both watching from the same vantage point or for the criminals, both watching for the same vantage point, but one experiencing surely his worst day on earth was on that same day in heaven with Jesus because of God's grace and because of his faith. For the crowds who gathered that day to see the spectacle, I'm not sure what they were expecting or what they felt. For when it came to the people, the Bible often called them the crowds or the multitudes, and they were a pretty fickle bunch. Because on Palm Sunday, they crowded the streets of Jerusalem. They cheered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And then on that same week, on Friday, early on that morning, they yelled to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And later on that morning, they're following Jesus to the place of execution, and the women are mourning. We read through verse 46 a moment ago, but if you have your Bibles open, you might also look at verse 48. Verse 48, it says, And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. Well, maybe it wasn't quite what they had expected when they came to watch Jesus on the cross. But maybe some of this same crowd, not experiencing any particularly good day in spring, maybe some of this same crowd was there at the day of Pentecost when 3,000 came to be saved in Jerusalem. And one of the Roman soldiers, the centurion, him, praised God. And Luke, it says, he said, Surely this, this one was innocent. And the devil, who thought he was having his best spring ever, found that what God told Eve way back in Genesis has come true. Her offspring crushed the head of Satan. Worst spring ever turned out the very best. And there is, if not parallels, at least application to what we are experiencing today. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of what he's accomplished on the cross, we know that his power is able to make the worst of circumstances and use it for our good and use it for his glory. Now, I've been praying for Resurrection Sunday. I've been praying for God to do another Easter miracle and for a great work to be done. And I know that he is powerful to stop all pandemics everywhere for all time. But he's even more powerful than that. Because he can use these very things, the things happening in our world today, to do a miracle in my life, and a miracle in your life, and in many others. And that's a powerful God. We've done studies before on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. Luke records three of those words. He records the first, the last, and then his words to the repentant thief. The first and the last of the seven words of Jesus or a prayer. Do you remember what Jesus did after his baptism when he was going to begin his public ministry? He went out and did 40 days in the wilderness. And what was he doing in those 40 days? He was praying. So his ministry begins with prayer and it ends in prayer, which tells us the importance of a prayer. Now was not the time to heal the sick. It was not the time to teach on the hillside, visit friends, to hug one another. Now was the time to pray. When we can do nothing else, we should pray. When there's much to do, we should bathe it in prayer. I often encourage those who are physically unable to serve because of health to remember the church and remember me and pray for me in prayer. And I thank them for that. And sometimes we are brought or we are allowed to come to a certain points in life so that we have nothing left to, but to become great prayer warriors. Jesus certainly was an example for us for the importance of prayer. This prayer, in the words of Jesus from the cross, I think answers some of the basic questions of our faith. And if you're home this morning or maybe through this time, you've got questions or you've got lots of questions. Well, Jesus answers for us crucial questions that you need to know. One of those being this, why did Jesus have to suffer on the cross of Calvary? Now most of us have heard sermons on the agony of the cross of Calvary. The Gospel of John tells us how the nails were pierced into his hands and feet. We know more about the specifics and the agony of the cross from really writings outside of the Bible. The cross was used as a 
Roman execution up until the time of Constantine in the 4th century. Crosses may have been T-shaped or X-shaped or even I-shaped. Other bodies have been found from that period that were executed to find that it wasn't the cross itself that caused the death, but usually it was starvation and thirst and exhaustion that were the causes of death. The gospel writers themselves, they, they were not so much concerned with the physical agony of the cross. Preachers and filmmakers, such as the Passions, tend to do that. One of the reasons was the gospel writers, they didn't have to explain to the ones who were reading the first century uh, Jewish people, particularly in the Romans and the Greeks, about the suffering of the cross because they had experienced and they watched it themselves. Verse 35 talks about all the people stood around watching. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were much more interested in the purpose of the crucifixion and how Jesus handled it. Well, how did Jesus handle it? He prayed publicly for his executioners and his enemies. He did, does not curse them. He ministers to a repentant thief. He does not pray for himself. He did all the praying for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now is the time for, to pray for others, which surely teaches us or helps us to understand the difference in public prayer and private prayer and what we should pray. Now he, now he publicly prays for those who nailed him to the cross. Anybody, anyone ever do you wrong? Well, how do you handle it? Jesus' prayers and his word to the repentant thief show God's purpose for the cross. God's purpose for sending the Son to take away our sins so that we might know a holy God and so that He might offer hope to the world. So the purpose of the cross is to offer you forgiveness and to give you hope. The Apostle Paul said if there was any other way that we might be forgiven or any other way that we might be able to come to heaven or to know God, the cross would have been in vain. In particular, Galatians 2.21 says this, For if we could be saved by keeping the law then there was no need for Christ to die. For Jesus wanted there to be no misunderstanding. He has come to be the sacrifice for our sins, to offer forgiveness and hope to all who would come to Him. Let there be no mistake. Jesus did not come to give... <coughs> Jesus did not come to give good lessons, to share parables and prophecy, or even just to heal the sick. He came so that we might be forgiven of sin, so that we might be saved. If Christ's purpose was only to heal those suffering, even from COVID-19, then they would be healed. Now, I'm not pretending to have all the answers, but a reason that we're still seeing this pandemic, one reason that we are seeing this in other illnesses around the world is because God's purpose is much greater. Thus, let there not be a mistake why we as a church exist. It's not for entertainment. It's not just for fellowship. It's not to give children and our teenagers and our senior adults something to do. Now, we as a body of Christ exist so that you and others might know the Lord Jesus and His offer of hope and forgiveness. And as you have already seen just in these last few weeks, we continue to be the church even when we're not meeting together. I applaud and I praise the Lord and give thanksgiving for how you have continued to be the church. You've continued to reach out to those who are among our church body. You've continued to share your faith. You've continued to help others. You continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus even when we cannot come together 
for worship. So to take up the cross of Christ is not to take up our mission, our burden, our passion, but it's to take up His mission and His purpose. To take up our cross is to take up His mission. So the purpose of the church is to honor God and to give hope. It is to honor God and to give hope. We're on a mission to offer hope to a world who need Christ. That is to determine what we do and how we spend our time and how we spend our money and every decision that is made. It's to honor God and to make disciples. I saw this sign in a restaurant recently. You remember back in the days when you used to could go to restaurants. And there was this sign that was up next to the register and it said this, Beware humans work here. Even though perfection is imminent, it has not yet been attained and therefore mistakes will occur. Should this happen while a human waits on you, please be kind and patient. This will expedite matters and not frustrate the other humans. Well, I read that and I thought, that we need to place that somewhere at the church. We're not perfect yet, and we won't be perfect until we get to heaven. But when we make mistakes, and we will make mistakes, we recognize and know that our purpose continues to be to honor God and to give hope. Meanwhile, be nice to the humans. Purpose of the cross, let there be no mistake. It is to offer forgiveness and give hope. Purpose of the church is to know God, is to honor God and to give hope. And the purpose of the Christian is to know God and to give hope. And the cross makes that possible. Well, another question that we have is, who's responsible for putting Jesus on the cross? Who's responsible for putting Jesus on the cross? I mean, when Jesus prayed that first prayer from the cross, who was it for? When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Who's the them? Who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Last week we talked about the conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate about importance of the truth. And Pontius Pilate tried to wash his hands of Jesus and eventually gave Jesus over to be executed. There were, of course, the people that continued to insist, crucifying, crucifying more than once. The crowd watched. So was it Pilate? who put Christ on the cross? Was it the Roman government? Was it the soldiers who actually nailed his hands and his feet and placed him up on the cross? Was it the Jewish leaders? Was it all the people of Jerusalem? Don't you, do you, don't you think God the Father would have granted this request for forgiveness from the Son? If not, imagine the unbearable punishment for the ones who yelled crucify him crucify him to the perfect lamb of God or the one who gave him the death sentence or the soldiers who actually drove the nails of the incarnate son of God and placed the almighty exposed to the world for the ones or the ones responsible for this what kind of punishment would there be who put Jesus on the cross? Romans, Jews, yes. But it's also my sins and your sins that put Christ on the cross. If it's true that even one sin separates us from a holy God and all have sinned and fall short 
then we are as guilty as the soldiers or the Romans or the Jewish leaders or the Jewish people in the crowd who yelled crucify him. We put Christ on the cross. But in fact, Jesus placed himself on the cross. The mob who came to arrest Jesus on the Thursday night of Holy Week. In another gospel, it tells us when they realized that it was him that they fell flat on their backs. The moment that they came to arrest Jesus, they fell on their backside. If it were not so serious, it would be almost a laughable moment. Jesus gave himself for us and took upon himself all the sins of mankind. Read the many times in the gospel to where they tried to arrest Jesus or they tried to stone Jesus and on one occasion they actually tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. He simply escaped their grasp. Was Jesus' prayer answered? I mean about the forgiveness. We have a hint of that in Acts chapter 3, 50 days later after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come to all 120 believers who are in Jerusalem. Peter stands to preach and he says this, to those who crucified Jesus, you killed the author of life. I know you acted in ignorance, and by the time he was through preaching his sermon, they asked with great anticipation, what can we do? Is there anything that we can do? As if they realize that they know that they put Christ on the cross. And Jesus, Paul says, or Peter said, repent and turn to God. The emphasis of Jesus' prayer is on his benevolence and his compassion. His prayer is answered for all those who repent and who are converted. Surely of those who were there in Jerusalem on that Good Friday when Jesus was executed on the cross, some were among the 3,000 saved on that day of Pentecost. Therefore, what they might have seen as the worst spring ever became the very best. But the Bible says in Romans 5.8, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on our behalf. While we were still enemies on the cross. Well, let's ask another question. Where is Jesus right now and what is he up to? Where's Jesus right now and what is he up to? Do you ever have a problem understanding or grasping or getting your mind around the Trinity? If you do, it's okay. If you understand it completely and it can explain it to where everybody else can understand it, you probably have it wrong. Someone said that if you tried to explain it, you could lose your mind, but if you try to explain it away, you could lose your soul. We know that God is one and we know Him in three persons. We know Him as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here in the passage we're reading, boy, we have one and we find Jesus who is God in the flesh asking forgiveness from the Heavenly Father who is also God, the same God. Do you get it? Well, just believe it and know that it's true. Here's what we know. Jesus is our intercessor and our high priest. We no longer have to go to a priest to talk to God or to ask forgiveness from someone else. Because of Jesus, we go directly to the throne room of heaven. It's the significance of what we read a moment ago of the veil being torn into the temple so that we might have access to the Holy of Holies. And here we understand that he's acting as our intercessor even on the cross, praying on someone else's behalf. In the original language, it actually uses a form of the word that means Jesus kept on asking forgiveness. Asking, Father, forgive them. Literally, keep on forgiving them. 
it implies that it was either said several times or meant for more than one person or for more than one sin. When Jesus was led to the place of the skull, and that the word for skull in the Greek language is kranios. It sounds like skull. We get the word Golgotha because that's the Aramaic word for skull. And then Calvary comes from the Latin. When Jesus was led to the place of the skull between two thieves, he said, Father, forgive them. When the soldiers actually laid his body across on the wood beams, he prayed, Father, forgive them. When the spikes were hammered into his flesh, he prayed, Father, forgive them. When he was lifted up on the cross beam, he prayed, Father, forgive them. When the soldiers gambled away his clothes, his only possessions, and he was left there exposed before the world as all the people looked on, he prayed, Father, forgive them. As his Jewish rulers sneered and said, Save yourself, you saved others. Not understanding that by not saving themselves, he offered salvation for them and for all. And when the Roman soldiers mocked him and offered him wine vinegar to taunt him or to prolong his ministry, he kept on going to the throne of grace and there was no indication that he ever stopped. Jesus said they knew not what they were doing. But it seems they did, or at least they knew something. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, said, I find no fault in him. The religious leaders shouted up at the cross, He saved others. They knew something. Let him save himself. The very sign on the cross read in three languages, This is the king of the Jews. The Roman soldiers would exclaim it. The centurion, the one Roman soldier after it was all, uh, all over. Not only that this man was innocent, but also surely this man was the son of God. Besides, ignorance is no excuse for sin. Romans 1 tells us that we are without excuse. Even those who've never heard the name of Jesus are as guilty as sin or guilty of sin. They may not have understood the full scope of the crucifixion as they executed the innocent Son of God. But it was their sin and other sins that caused spiritual blindness and inability to recognize the Messiah as the Savior of the world. Where's Jesus today? Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. This is actually how it says it in the message. It says, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. Jesus, our high priest, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes, a place of significance, but also the fact that he's seated. The priest in the Old Testament, particularly in the time of the Passover, well, they would stand for the sacrifice. But now Jesus is seated to indicate the final sacrifice has been completed. In a few minutes, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and we'll give tribute to what Christ has done for us and we will remember how Christ has completed and been and He is our final sacrifice. Well, where is Jesus? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's in the hearts of all those who know and love Him. But specifically, He's seated at the right hand in the heavenly realm, meaning He is above all. He has all authority. Well, what's He up to? 
We, we find these words in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father and He's praying this prayer on your behalf. Father, forgive you. Father, forgive me. Not because we don't know what we are doing, though that's probably more the case than not. But today he's saying, Father, forgive, because I took their punishment. I paid the price. And as he told the repentant thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. We can also have confidence in the last words of Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These words give confidence for today and confidence in your future. Where's Jesus and what's he up to right now? It's an important question for his work on the cross continues today, which leads to another question. How do the words of Jesus on the cross make a difference to you today, right now in the things that we're experiencing? A reporter asked a well-known person if he remembered an incident in which a friend hurt him deeply in the past. And his answer stuck with me because he replied quickly, no, I specifically remember forgetting that. Well, if you're a believer today, all your sins have been forgiven and forgotten. He doesn't dig them up every once in a while. Micah chapter 7 and verse 19 says that he's buried them in the deepest part of the sea and he's put a sign up that says no fishing allowed. It's not exactly what the verse says, but that's the inference. It's the greatest gift ever given. By accepting God's gift, all sins have been washed away. If all of your sins have been washed away and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you no longer have to walk around with guilt. Jesus forgives, frees us of the burden of the guilt which tends to weigh us down that would keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Sometimes we can actually be forgiven, but Satan says you're still guilty. We can still feel guilty and no good and not worth anything. That's why we preach and teach that faith must become before feelings. And we can know that God is not holding something back from us. He's not holding something against us to where we cannot receive all of His good gifts and all of His presence and be a part of His work. We can know today that God is at work in your life, that He loves you, He cares for you deeply. He wants to give you all of the riches of His glory. He wants you to experience His power and wants you to walk with Him in freedom today. Jesus' words on the cross were about true freedom to all who have accepted Him. We remember that Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have not accepted the gift that keeps giving, those who have not accepted Christ's offer of forgiveness, Jesus is saying today, forgive him or forgive her. And today you can be forgiven even if no chance to prove yourself first. Certainly the thief on the cross had no chance to prove himself. You don't have to think and wait. I, I've got to wait till this pandemic is over to get things right with God. Or I've got to wait and prove myself before God will accept me. 
If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He accepts you and He will forgive you right now. You come to Him in faith and repentance. You'll have opportunity as we will have prayer time in just a moment. We encourage you to give your heart and life to Him today, particularly today. If you've accepted Christ's offer of forgiveness, don't rob yourself of the freedom from sin that God intended. Don't make the cross less than what it was intended to be by continuing to live like you've not been forgiven. The Bible also says because you've been forgiven, you must practice forgiveness. Jesus is our best teacher and our best example. He went to the cross to forgive those who hated him. You may have friends or family that you need to forgive. While you can't force anyone to accept your friendship and forgiveness, Jesus reminds us that we need to be willing to make amends without conditions or qualifications. That's forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Be ye, be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. These days, if nothing else, they have reminded us that the importance of community and the importance of relationships. So I'm asking you, Parkway Baptist Church, to be sure that all of your relationships with one another along certainly a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also with one another, that you have made all amends, that you have forgiven, that you will make things right. The Bible talks about us not coming to the table. You may be coming to the table. It's a little bit different today, but you're coming to the same table that we have in church as we have communion. And we're told not to come in an unworthy manner, meaning that we want to be sure that we come in a right relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and that we're in a right relationship and fellowship with other believers as well. It may be that you cannot go to someone today, but be sure that you have had that settled in your heart before you partake of the Lord's Supper today. But Jesus' words and example also remind us we are to open doors for others to find forgiveness and hope. That is, by loving and accepting people, some that may not be so lovable, some that are not necessarily, necessarily like us and some of those who are glad that they're not like us. And there are many, many people around us who need to know the hope found in Jesus. And perhaps the Lord has opened to us an open door so that can happen. Will you open door for others by being kind, compassionate, and forgiving? And will you be an example and open the door for others by helping others to find the hope that they need today? You remember... Remember the old song, some of you might, tie a yellow ribbon, tells of a man who's been sent to prison. He served his time and he's now coming home on the bus. And he has told the woman who once loved him and has every right to reject him, he's to blame. So he's written to tell her that if she forgives him, to tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. And if there's no yellow ribbon, he'll just keep on riding by on the bus. And as the miles roll by, all the man thinks about is that oak tree. When he gets home, will there be a yellow ribbon on it? The song ends in triumph and the entire busload of people cheering as the man sees not one yellow ribbon, but a hundred yellow ribbons on that old oak tree. And his girl, his lady, not only forgives him, but she exuberantly welcomes him home. Well, like the man on the bus, 
we're fearful of sometimes of what's ahead. We know our hearts and we might wonder if God will really love and accept us, let alone celebrate our coming. But when we look at the old tree of Calvary, we see not just anyone, but we see the Son of God wrapped around the tree, offering all who will come to Him hope. Come back to the cross. Well, Jesus has the answer to crucial, crucial questions in your life. If it's about your past, Jesus forgives. If it's about the future, as Jesus told the thief on the cross, the best is yet to come. If it's about the present, Jesus has proven that he wants to walk with you and reveal in you and through you his power. Spring of 2020 may surely be your worst spring ever. But who knows, for those of us who know Jesus, it may be your finest moment. As the song says, place your faith in the nail-scarred hands. Again, if you'd like to talk with any of us, you can email or call let us know. Get in touch with us. If you've placed your faith in Christ, we'd like to hear about it. If you have prayer requests, we're going to begin to prepare for uh, our Lord's Supper this morning. And as we do, we want to remind you that our Lord's Supper, it is for those who have professed Christ publicly already. That is that we say that it is for those who are baptized believers. Now for those half a dozen or so who are awaiting baptism, not the, I'm, not the bad, I'm not the Lord's Supper police, but I'd encourage you to go ahead and partake of communion and, and preparation for what's going to take place in Lord's Supper. You're at home with kids perhaps, and it may be a little bit more difficult, but they may ask you, well, how come I can't partake of the Lord's Supper? What an opportunity for you to be able to tell them what Christ did for us on the cross and about the resurrection. So we want you to prepare your hearts even now. And I'm going to pray and thank the Lord for... Uh, what he has done for us and after I do that I want to encourage you if you're by yourself you may go get something to eat or drink we're going to partake of it all together at the same time Sarah's here going to play for us and after she is through we'll all partake of the Lord's Supper uh, maybe there's someone there that can go if you don't already have a cup and bread or a cracker or water and bread whatever it is that you might need paper cups will do anything at this point uh, would be okay for the symbols that we have of the body and the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for us. Let's bow together after our prayer, then you prepare. And I'm going to ask you also that uh, sometime while uh, Sarah is playing, for somebody in your home to pray a brief prayer, thanking the Lord Jesus for his great sacrifice. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this Lord's Day, this Palm Sunday. We thank you for the triumphant entry of our Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem as he presented himself not only as the one who was the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, but also the one who would sacrifice himself, the Lamb of God, to come to take away the sins of the world. We thank you, Father, that even as we participate in the Lord's Supper today, we remember that what Christ has done for us on the cross, but also that three days later he rose again. And we thank you for the life that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we may not partake of this in an unworthy manner. Pray, Father, reveal to us any sin in our hearts that we need to confess, changes that need to take place, Father, 
needs that we have that we need to turn over to you. Remind us of those, Father, whom we have not forgiven that we need to forgive or those perhaps whom we need to approach and ask for forgiveness. Father, help us to settle that in our hearts now and follow through particularly on this holy week. And we pray, Father, your blessings on all that takes place. We thank you for this wonderful gift. Thank you for our church family, and thank you that we can do this together, even though we're apart. It's in Christ Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. was on the night of the Passover. Jesus was gathered together in his upper room with his disciples. And as they partook of the Passover, everything that was taking place would take on new meaning because of what was happening that week and what would happen on Good Friday and on Resurrection Sunday. And Jesus, during the supper, he took the bread, he broke it, and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
It was after the supper that he took the cup. When he took the cup, he said, This is my blood which was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Special word of thanks for Sarah for being here playing today. Thank you for all those who go to the trouble behind the scenes to make sure that we can still do this online. Thank you to uh, Aaron Praise Band for leading us in worship today. Appreciate all of our staff. Good work that they're continuing to do this week. Brother Dick's going to close us out.